I think we don't. We don't have. No, any... I think we should just start. Okay, Maybe cool. We Okay, I think we are live. So welcome back everyone to the FPL script. Uh, I am Fran, of course, FPL underscore underscore Fran on Twitter with my co-host JD today. We will be discussing, you know, briefly our wild card uh, or my wild card 26, but our performance overall on Gimme 26 and, you know, the culmination of the FA Cup fixtures and, and, and how that changes our understanding of the F FPL landscape. Um, but I think the biggest thing that we'd like to talk about today too is, you know, to reintroduce basically what we do over the course of the show as a new segment, um, called the X-Men's Corner. So that will be where we will probably discuss, um, the, the preeminent, I guess, X-Men's debates that would change, you know, your souls and your wild cards and things like that. And how we're sort of, um, thinking about the picks of certain minutes, uh, going forwards. So, that's going to be the new segment, so do stay tuned for that. Um, we will be talking about chip strategy once again, but very briefly. I think people's chip strategies are not um, set in stone. It's really team-dependent, in my opinion, once again. Um, and a lot of people have already been sort of planning towards a certain strategy in mind. And, of course, I think when they're, for example, running their solves, um, it will probably bear out the same. Um, but yeah, in terms of my team, I had 46 points. I did wild card, so uh, pretty traumatic experience. You know, wild carding, having pretty good EV, knowing that I would have a strong team versus the field, uh, but it didn't pan out. And part of that too is just you know, whenever we go on wild cards or we play, you know, analytically, you 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 choose let's say a variation of players, and um, you hope that they they do the business in terms of converting their EV. And obviously the um, the team that I sort of ended up with at the deadline was quite different to different variations where I had, for example, Aitnuri, um, Yudogi, for example, these sorts of players that would have been, you know, helpful to me this week and helpful to me last week. Unfortunately, I, I did end up with Neto uh, and Huang and also Fernandes, um, who I guess got a very paltry assist and a yellow card. Uh, but that literally was the highlight of my week. All the other picks, all the other points that I had uh, were very much uh, dominated by the field or owned by the field. And, you know, I didn't even have the chance or I didn't even think about really the chance to um, go for a bit of free risk with the soccer captaincy so that's not something I really considered I have to put my hands up there uh, and that was my week how about you JD uh, hi everyone so uh, just to give a heads up that my video is not working great so my as uh, you can see right now I'm frozen so that could occur many times during the stream today apologies for that so uh, just like Fran I had a bad week and I had a pretty big red arrow considering where I was last week and there's nothing really to speak about except I went wang over Douglas Lewis and my contempt for Douglas Lewis grows even more. Yeah. And it's really, it's, I, I'm running out of words, honestly, even when I think about it, uh, I'm just, I'm just so, I'm, I'm happy that we did the double over Villa. Because he would have been just insufferable. And I'm talking about Douglas Lewis, the streamer, not Douglas Lewis, the football player. So, you know, he is a colleague and I can talk about him. I can talk smack about him. Fair enough. Um, yeah. So we did t touch on FA Cup in terms of the opening segment. The The reality is that we, we do have a small understanding or better understanding of gaming's 34 and 37. Uh, gaming 29 is already set in stone so we don't really need to discuss that you know the only thing that we know is that uh luton versus Nottingham forest has been confirmed so we now have four fixtures there 
it doesn't really change strategy much, but I think it obviously does uh, open some options in terms of, you know, your, your keepers now, you know, planning forwards. Uh, Kaminsky, of course, is a very valid pick, uh, particularly on a wild card. Uh, on top of that, you, you think generally the idea that you can bring in a Luton player, whether it's a Luton forward, whether it's Ross Barkley or whether it's Doughty right now, I think once again, very strong if you are planning on, let's say, going through and navigating a free hit 34 strategy path. So that's one thing that has sort of uh, come up as a result of, of the fixtures in the FA Cup. However, we have presented a sort of uh, binary understanding of 34 and 37. This is based on Planet FPL's projections. Um, I do recommend that everyone has a look at looking for Planet FPL on YouTube or any sort of podcast platform. Have a listen to their discussions on the fixtures uh, and also give James a follow as well on Twitter. Um, so a lot of the credit goes to him. Uh, keep in mind, though, of course, Ben Krillin has his own projections. Um, these are, of course, um, a binary um, set of projections. So assuming, for example, that the, you know, let's say, for example, if you look at Ben Krillin's projections, they're always 66% on Gaming's 34 or, you know, 33% on Gaming's 37. Here, of course, we are taking the best guess of where fixtures should fall um, if we were to, let's say, solve and assume that fixtures do fall on a specific game week. And I think the, the key to, to using binary solves is I think it actually shows you the true value of a potential 3 at 34. Now, we're not saying that this is going to be perfect in terms of all these fixtures that we show here are going to happen on 34 or going to happen on 37, as we say. You know, it could be flipped. But the idea, I think, is that when you're running solves with the partial... Um, expected value that you have for the fixture probabilities now with default fixture projections on review you won't see the full value of a free at 34 um you know no matter what so i think when people are let's say comp comparing free at 29 as a strategy to three at 34 i think that's one thing that a lot of people do tend to miss out on that those partial souls um actually affect the game weeks where you have a lot of players playing already um, and sort of nerf the value of a free hit there compared to one where we have a blank game week um, instead. So that's the only thing I'd like to mention. I don't know if you want to add any thoughts because obviously you you are an avid uh, Planet FPL listener and you've given you know some time dedicated to to listening to that episode. Yeah, and James has been very vocal about the fact that there could be a lot of changes to this still. So yeah. as Franz said, this is our best guess as of today. And which is why we are not going to spend a lot of time talking about chip strategies because once again, we don't have enough information other than what we already know, mm -hmm. which is the fact that uh, only four fixtures are going to be played in game week 29 and others are going to be moved ahead. So uh, two quick things, um, as Fran already mentioned, please go and watch the Planet FPL pod about uh, fixtures. But one thing that James mentioned, which is not common knowledge, I guess, other than outside of people who've listened to the pod, which is that Everton Liverpool was supposed to be scheduled in 34, but he's now predicting it to be 37 because he's apparently like he's received so, uh, inside information essentially, and he he's saying that Sky want to make it sort of a blockbuster because it is probably going to be Everton's last game at Goodison Park if they lose and get relegated, for example. So it could be a case where it's a relegation for Everton and it's the title for Liverpool, something like that. Mm -hmm. So that is sort of the logic behind it. Of course, I'm not claiming to be an expert. This is just something I heard and sort of made sense because they are obviously the broadcasting companies over in the UK are always trying to maximize uh, the revenue in terms of uh, viewership. So it does make sense. But what James also said is that 
in terms of arranging uh, the police or stewards in the ground it's going to be a real pain uh, a real hassle so i have no idea uh, what decision they're going to take whatever they do i guess it doesn't matter that much from a solving perspective because uh, either fulham gets scheduled for liverpool or everton gets scheduled and I, in terms of ev it's not that big of a difference if if one solve is going to tell you to own sala i'm sure the other solve within the reason is still going to tell you to own sala in in uh, for example double game week 34 if that happens so uh, maybe not as relevant to your solves uh, but just something to keep an eye out and and uh, if you have an update or if we hear about an update we will obviously cover it in in future episodes so that's one and just to add to what france said in the beginning of the podcast about x means so it's just that we uh for example fran i know who spends a lot of time running solves with his own minutes and we do talk about it often during various segments of the podcast so we just decided to have like a dedicated segment where we can just talk about it obviously when we have a podcast that don't have chip strategies it could be the case that we sprinkle these xm stats throughout the the podcast but for uh, episodes like these where there's not much going on outside of maybe some people playing their wild card or some people planning to play their wild card next week like for example maybe i am playing my wild card next week uh, so in weeks like these i think it helps to just have all the xms chat in one section of the of the podcast so this is exactly what we are trying to do and speaking of which let's start off with the first one which is monmouth defense so you wild carded last week so i'm going to start with you uh, what is your what are your thoughts on on the bournemouth defense um yeah i mean i i think obviously you should be picking between senesi and zubarni although i think if you are a bit of a terrorist and you like a bit of upside i i quite like uh kirkes the left back um yeah. but the reality too is if you can go for for example nesser the goalkeeper um that's where the full sort of i think strength of the double gaming lies cuz Senesi is the one who usually has the better underlying stats. Um, but when we talk about X-Mins, it is now the case that he gets subbed off um, sometimes quite early. Just because if Bournemouth want to chase, it seems like they sort of move into a structure where Cook basically drops back into a centre-back position and they play out of the back with Zabarni. And um, you think that these fixtures are actually very good. And you think that there's not going to be any struggles really with Bournemouth sort of managing this tie or these ties, then real in reality, you're going to prefer going for someone like Senesi um, for the full upside of the sort of attacking player. But Zabani for me still feels like the safest pick um, if that's how you like to grab your EV. And that's sort of my, my, my take um, on Bournemouth right now. Whereas with Kirkes as well, he could be prone to being an early sub or of course, um, maybe even missing a game. Yeah, uh, Lloyd Kelly's absence is still yeah unexplained, right? In terms of when is he coming back exactly? Yeah, I mean we still haven't seen him at the squad at all, right? Um, exactly. And we, yeah. I mean, obviously we can wait for an update. Um, but obviously, if if let's say he's been out for a while, I think Sinesi therefore feels quite safe. But yeah, if I was to pick one between Zabani and Sinesi, I would actually probably go Zabani because. Oh, no. I actually didn't mean for Senesi, I actually meant it for... Um, oh, sorry, like, in terms of the Kirkus, yeah, in terms of left-back position. Yeah. Sorry, I was actually thinking yeah. about um, who's the centre-back uh, option that they usually have. I think Lloyd Kelly was also slated if they need to... Yeah, because we, we have, haven't, yeah, we have seen, we have seen yes. Kelly play. 
left center back, yeah, right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. that that would be interesting. And, and the, the other option is uh, Adam Smith, but obviously Max Aaron's is their first choice right back. I don't think he is going to be fit either. But I, uh, Bournemouth fans still don't seem to think he's going to play both games, and he hasn't been attacking at all in any case. So, uh, maybe he would be below Zabarni uh, for my preferences. And and as Farhan has already pointed out that Zabani is probably the one safe pick right now from all those uh, defenders for uh, for X-Mins. The next point was about Bournemouth mids because for people who want to maximize uh, game week 28, which is obviously a double game week for Bournemouth and Liverpool, uh, Luton, uh, what are your thoughts about, for example, Tavernier versus Clivert versus someone like Ryan Christie, who you know is going to play 90 minutes, but I mean, it doesn't really have any attacking output. Yeah, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there in terms of talk about attacking output because when we talk about most of the players that they actually have in their team, Marcus Tavernier is the only one who actually has like considerably good XGI per 90 and considerably good minutes. So that's my main concern. And then actually the next best player would be probably Semenya, right, in terms of decent minutes and decent XGI, but he's a forward. Um, and you'd only really ever go for him if you don't have Solanke ready. Uh, but of course, we got confirmation today that I think the injury is actually pretty minor. So um, worst case, I suppose he has managed minutes for Burnley, but he should start. And then also he should really play game 28. So I think it, it is very restrictive in the sense that actually it's just Marcus Tavernier. But I think another question that you could ask is, is it even worthwhile to go for him? Because there have been times of the season where his minutes have been suspect. Like he's only played um, 1,600 minutes so far. Some of the other midfielders have clocked, you know, less than 1,100. Um, and of course, you've got, you know, billing too technically. But yeah, I think it, it's very tough to pick. I think Tavernier is interesting because he's also on some set pieces. Um and I'm not going to talk about penalties, you know, if Solanke's out. I just don't think it's a relevant discussion. But, um, yeah, I think the concern is that we have seen, for example, where there were midweek fixtures in the past, I have seen uh, Marcus, unfortunately, drop out in, in, in some of the Premier League fixtures. So if you actually look at his history, um, you'll see, for example, he does come off the bench sometimes. And, and that, that would be, you know, catastrophic in the sense that you're bringing in a player for Gimme 28 who also blanks in Gimme 29. So... I think the, the discussion is whether you want to go for that upside. Um, and the only thing I'd also add is that in that sort of position and in that sort of price point, you also have Ross Barkley. So for the people who are free hit 34-ing, um, yep. you know, he should also come into your sort of decision-making as well. That's actually a great point because he is one of my choices. Of, I, I'm planning on doing Wang to Son. But mm -hmm. in case I don't wildcard in 28, I'm also strongly considering Barkley just because he has four games in three uh, game weeks. Yeah, yeah. Which is not that common because a lot of these teams are not... I mean, Bournemouth is not playing in 29, so essentially you have three fixtures for three game weeks for Bournemouth. But interestingly, for uh, Bournemouth striker or Bournemouth forward, before we move on to uh, Liverpool... I just wanted to mention that Semenyo seems to be nailed on if in case Solanke is ruled out, right? Because Yunal also got a shoulder injury, I think. Yeah. And that just means that would you go for Semenyo if uh, Solanke is ruled out? Because I know you didn't go for Solanke on wildcard 26. Yeah. I mean, if Solanke, I would only go for him if Solanke is ruled out for 28. Um, but yeah, I would go Semenyo. I think I probably would have to actually. 
Okay, fair enough. I just wanted to get your thoughts on mm-hmm. on Semenyo because uh, unless, as you said, we know for sure that Solanke is going to miss all three games, it doesn't seem worthwhile risk to bring him in. Yeah. Uh, the next one we wanted to talk about was Liverpool defense. So as we know, Trent is out for longer. Allison is not going to be back till thirty first of March, I believe. So we are really left with a weakened Liverpool defense and also them having to play one of Kwanzaa or uh, Joe Gomez and Van Dijk, who is the only consistent centre-back or defender that they have, along the likes of Bradley and Robertson. And Simikas is also back and Simikas is also starting to have better minutes as uh, he's come back. So, would you go for someone like uh, Robertson on, or Van Dijk? Yeah, that's an interesting point because I think obviously people running souls will see Robertson. Um, but I, I, I have a hard time believing that Robertson will play all the fixtures and particularly maybe some of the easier fixtures too where Simakash should on paper be able to come in because they will be continually involved in cup competitions. It, I suppose it, it, it depends on what Klopp's preference is. You know, for example, if there's an FA Cup fixture and he sees it as an opportunity to rotate, it's more than likely, of course, that just means more Robertson for the league because that's probably Liverpool's priority this season. So, you know, from that point of view, I think that's nice for Robertson. But at the same token, um, Simicast has played moderately well this season. So you could argue that this could be one of the seasons where you'd expect that the minutes would be a little bit more balanced than in previous years, where Simicast was basically warming up the bench for 90 minutes and you'd never see really a sniff of Simicast in the league or even in some cup matches. This season has been quite different. Um, so I, I don't know if you have sort of an update or thought on that, but that just leads me towards just thinking Van Dyke's the one. Or of course, if let's say there's some horrific Trent news, I mean, Bradley's just at a ridiculous price, um, to be quite honest. So he's, he's for me the pick that I would go with if that was really bad Trent news. But you know, because he feels like such a short-term pick, and unfortunately, the short-term fixtures for Liverpool are actually bad. Um, it feels like you can't really go there. Absolutely, I I also agree with the fact that Robertson might not play every single game, or the speculation. And Simikas is really such a drop-off, right? So that I think is the big factor that we all know that we've all gone for Simikas at various points during the last <laughs> couple of seasons, but that was with the knowledge that they don't have an alternative or they don't have a viable alternative. Uh, unfortunately, Joe Gomez has played well enough at left-back this season and he has also played at centre-back when time when needed during you know his time at Liverpool. So I would just avoid Liverpool defence at this point. I had, so for example, I have Van Dijk and I was looking into how I can manoeuvre around pre-29 and I'm just finding it to be very tedious. One, because you already pointed out that the fixtures are bad enough or they are not great, I would say. And the fact that they are in every single cup competition. So, the X-Mins are just building up. I I mean, it's a good sign that he got subbed at 45, I guess. No one asked him, uh, no one asked Klopp about Van Dijk's uh, 45-minute sub. So, I am assuming that everything is okay, but we'll see. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And, And yeah, you're right, obviously, about Gomez too. I mean, we saw Gomez play versus Luton, so... Even more reason, I suppose, to just lay off Robertson for a bit. Um, I think you'd only go for Robertson if you were, let's say, going for a wildcard 27 free hit 29 strategy. So a very, very niche um, sort of pick to own and to think about. But all these sort of things are are quite interesting, right? Um, because very soon we'll be wildcarding. And anyone who's, let's say, planning to still you know play around free at 29 on a wildcard, 
you have to take that into consideration. Of course, even city defense, you know, might seep through into our discussions next week. Uh, the next topic of point is going uh, to be... Sorry, uh, before we move on, I yep. forgot to ask you about what would you set uh, Tavernier's minutes as? On for, a, uh, I, yeah, it's a good point. I, I would actually just set it at 72, 75. I think that, that might be a little bit optimistic, but I think it, it's very likely... Um, if you also look at, for example, the FA Cup fixture, he was rested, right? Um, mm. So the way I see it, he's definitely going to clock a 90 in the first fixture. And then in the second leg, like maybe in the worst case, of course, he's on the bench. Then you obviously assign a probability that he would very well start that second game, but maybe, of course, come off the bench uh, or, or rather, yeah. you know, get benched within the game. So I kind of like, I think maybe 75 could be optimistic, but I think that's, that's quite healthy. Um, and he could very well, you know, overachieve that, as I said, because of that FA Cup rest, uh, which is actually a really nice aspect um, to that. But then an another thing you want to think about too, I guess, is, um, you know, is that mid spot useful for you? Because I think when we're thinking about gaming 29 as well, sometimes what, what, what I like to think is, is the only players that we really want to have to sort of cover off, I suppose, the threats are players like Bowen players like Watkins, these attackers, and I, I guess Tavernier would block or or necessitate potentially another midfield transfer on top of that. You know, on Gimme Twenty Nine, if you if you kind of need to force your hand, so that's like an additional sort of point in consideration for some managers. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know what, what what would you assign his minutes as? I I'm pretty close to what you are. I would I was putting his minutes right now at seventy mm -hmm. across the two games, so average of seventy minutes. And yep. for Senesi, I was using not quite as aggressive a decay as when players are on four yellow cards and the threshold is five right but whatever is the probability that he gets a yellow card i'm just using that and i think it comes to something like 78 for uh the first game because there's also some built-in probability that he gets subbed off early yeah uh, as long as it's above 60 review considers the clean sheet point so that doesn't matter as much and yeah yeah definitely second, yeah yeah and then the second fixture is uh, it was around 72 or something. So that's just what I'm running with right now. And uh, I guess you, because you already own him, you're not that bothered about yeah, it. I'm, I'm not too bothered. So obviously I'm yeah, exactly. I'm biased in a sense. I, I'm not out here telling people to buy Sinesi, but um, yeah, I mean, I've already sort of, I have to just lie in my bed, basically. I'm I'm, I'm in that yeah, position. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whereas and some also, people can make wiser decisions. It, it, it's just like the Walker pick, right? When Walker was just in that zone of, unpredictability where you didn't know why he wasn't starting mm -hmm. and so a lot of people like me went for ak over walker and then whoever owned walker for the double game week really profited from uh, yeah. people going for other players in defense so it could very well turn out to be a situation like that where people that already own senesi will obviously play him and could very well benefit from two clean sheets or two appearances of 90 90 minutes each yeah, or like we said, like in the double game week, you can own Ederson, you know, who basically doesn't yeah, get benched. Yeah. Um, same yeah. with Bournemouth. So that could be Absolutely. nice. Um, yeah, so the next topic is going to be about Salah. Now, obviously, we're. I think the, the key thing here is that we have press conferences that will come out and that should give us information over Poro, over Richarlson, over Salah, mm -hmm. uh, over yeah. Slanky as well, just to reaffirm the news that we got tonight. But I, I think with Salah, the, the question is, is it worth it, let's say, if you're wildcarding this week uh, or think about transfers this week, to pull the trigger on a solid move, say, if you own someone like KDB um, or, say, if you're wildcarding right now and you have to pick between Salah and Holland, like, are you kind of, is your hand forced, basically? 
so that's uh, sorry uh, you cut out in the middle could you just repeat the last part of the of the sentence yeah so so my question is i guess is if you're wild carding or um you're trying to set up your team for the future maybe yeah. of course it's different if you own kdb because i think i'd probably keep kdb in this instance but let's say you're wild carding this week your team necessitates a wild card you're planning for free at 29 um you know would you force Salah within your draft is sort of my question unless we hear from club where he says that Salah is fit enough to start mm -hmm. i my answer is no yeah and i know people are going to tell me that he always does well against man city and i know he does <laughs> because he's a good player that has nothing to do with the fact that he keep the, he keeps doing well against city he keeps doing well against every Premier League opposition, yeah, because he's good. So, shocker. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> I, I know that there are some teams where Alan Shearer has spoken about it, and when I hear a player who has scored the most goals in PL history, I do give some weightage to the fact that he used to say that there are certain opposition where he used to feel like, yeah, you know, he's up for it, and I do understand that, and that could very well be Salah's. But at the end of the day, we we can't predict any of that, so. We have to go with uh, what we know from from the outside, and as as long as he is not fit enough to play ninety minutes, I'm not going anywhere near Salah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Given the fact that he has a blank in twenty nine anyway. Yeah, it's a tricky thing because it was something that I was thinking about. Let's say you have you know less money in the bank, you you suddenly can't afford you know a Holland plus Salah draft. You 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 are kind of forced to choose one premium on a wild card twenty seven. So the only thing I was thinking about you know would be is it worth the sacrifice to, you know, prevent yourself from booking transfers uh, later down the line to move Holland to Salah? Because obviously us natural sort of playing players will go um, take Holland out of the team on gaming 28 or 29 and then transfer out Salah, um, transfer in Salah, sorry, in gaming 30. Whereas if you're wildcarding, I think you'd like to circumvent that if possible, but then you're also losing a Holland captaincy versus United. And I think that that is... It's not even just an effective ownership argument. It's just that that fixture just does look so plumb. Like I, I think it's very hard, um, and it also speaks towards why you should probably wait to wildcard twenty eight to wildcard. Because uh, I just think twenty seven. Unfortunately, we're just missing a lot of information. Uh, we're not going to get any additional information in terms of thirty four, thirty seven, for example, probabilities. But yeah, unfortunately, the key players in the game um, still play. And have good fixtures and for example when you look at Foden when you look at Walker within your team or, or rather Ake Walker of course in my in my previous team um, but also definitely on some other teams you know a lot of us still own Liverpool and City assets it, it probably just doesn't make overall sense to wildcard on 27 unless you're just in a very very dire spot when it comes to injuries and, and so on and so forth. Um, next piece is going to be on the Wolves attack. Um, do you want to sort of discuss um, what, what your thoughts are on the Wolves attack right now? Yeah, so Wang was ruled out, just if anyone doesn't know that he got injured during the FA Cup game against Brighton. Wolves won that game and that was uh, another blow for uh, people that went with Wangi Chan. So not only do we have to replace him now, it's also a question of what happens in his absence, right? So mm -hmm. first thing is Gary O'Neill said that he it would be a miracle if Wang plays in game week 27. So I'm assuming that he's not going to play. Uh, secondly, if Wang is not on penalties, we are assuming that it's 100% with Sarabia. Mm -hmm. So uh, I sp spoke with Fran before we started streaming, and I would increase Sarabia's minutes from let's say mid 70s to low 80s 
or probably high 80s now that he is uh, there's less competition i'm assuming belegard plays in yep. place of wang i don't know if they, they have any other options but i'm assuming that's what's going to happen it will uh, be exactly and uh, fran owns, owns both pedroneto and wang so what are your thoughts yeah, it's an interesting thing because I think this sort of X-Men's discussion is more about how you plan your future transfers, right? Um, yeah. Because the issue with someone like Huang is his fixture is actually even better on Gimme 28. So the question, of course, with Huang is not necessarily whether he's going to play for me this week. It's actually whether he's going to play for me next week. And obviously, I don't think there's any need to, to jump onto a Wolves attacker necessarily. But the key thing, I suppose, if I was to talk about impacts is, of course, you know, I feel a little bit better about Oni Neto because he played center forward for Brighton. There's always going to be some sort of positive boost to that. I don't think he's going to get an additional weightage of penalty share. However, that's just a nice little thing to have, right? It's just like when, for example, we saw EV boosts for Richarlson when he moved back to center forward um, or Sun, for example, when he was playing center forward um, and, and the list goes on, you know, historically speaking. Um with Huang, though, as I said, yeah, I think we need to try and get news from the press conference to try and understand whether he will play on Gaming 28. Because for most managers, I think it would be it would make sense to actually keep Huang in your team. Now, of course, if you have something as simple as Huang to Sun uh, as a transfer option, then it, it's a no-brainer. You don't have to think about it. Uh, but for me, for example, where I have players like Fernandes, who do, do, doesn't have a good game on Gaming 28, I have Neto and I have Huang. It, it actually suddenly leads me towards a situation where I probably am minded to sell Huang regardless. Um, mm. But not everyone's going to be in that sort of delicate position like myself. So I think you could probably practice a bit of patience unless, of course, the Gary O'Neill news on, over Huang isn't great. And and who knows, right? Because obviously whenever you have uh, an, an injury or, or or something like that, that, that can always mean that his minutes on Gaming 28 get impacted negatively. So... I, I think, you know, I'm so, a bit sour uh, on him. I just wanted to ask you one thing. So, you said that United have a bad fixture. I don't think... Oh, 27, sorry. Sorry, on 27. Yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah. So, I was but thinking about 27 in terms of my team this yeah. week. It's pretty horrible. Yeah. Yeah. This week is, I understand, because your plan must have been to play double Wolves uh, midfield against Newcastle away. And now that uh, Wang is injured, you either have to move him on or you have to play Bruno Fernandes against City away, which is, I mean... What is his EV out of curiosity? Because I, I haven't. I think it. like um, three point four. Three point, yeah. Okay. Or three point eight. It's not great. Yeah. But it's not that bad though, right? I mean, uh, most of the players against City away, you would expect their EV to be really. Yeah, it's not bad. Really bad. But is yeah, the yeah. EV real? No, I'm kidding. But yeah, um. Is <laughs> Bruno Fernandes real? Because apparently <laughs> yeah. he can never get injured, right? Uh, he can only play act. So. <laughs> I've been really salt, not salt day. I just have been angry about that this week. Yeah. With, uh, um, all, all the narrative. Anyway, uh, I think that's all about X Men's Corner. We will refine this uh, section as as and when we move on every week. I think yeah. we will have more things to talk about. It's just that this week is particularly weird in terms of no press conferences between the FA Cup and the game week deadline. So it's just we are in in some sort of uh, what do you uh, embargoed state you could say yeah no it's a fair point um actually one last thing i wanted to discuss is just spurs defenders and but also approach to spurs defenders in general or or, or approach to triple spurs for people who are on free at 34 um what's interesting is actually i've run some wild card salt to give me 27 and actually of course because you have such a good fixture like christmas pass at home you're you, you're actually encouraged to go triple spurs 
um, on, on on both variations, you know, the free at 29 and the free to 34 var variation, but I'm sure by, by the time wildcard 28 comes around, because you, your, your front loaded fixture is Aston Villa away, uh, that's not suddenly an option anymore. So I think it will suddenly change to where you probably will have triple spurs once again on the free at 34 variant, but not the free at 29 variant. What I think is interesting, though, is we, we do need to be thinking about this week with whatever information we get from Ange uh, over, let's say, Richarlison, Poro, uh, and these sorts of players, you know, how you're actually going to go about Spurs, because they will be quite influential later on in terms of the double game weeks, whether, of course, you know, some of the, the sort of rescheduled fixtures or set to be rescheduled fixtures will fall in 34 slash 37. But in the short term, like, let's say, if you're a three at 34 um, minded player, you need to think about whether you're actually going for something like a triple Spurs midfield or you're actually, for example, um, a little bit more flexible and, and you have, for example, money in the bank to actually go for Poro. Because if Udogi is fit and he's available for 27 and Poro isn't, I think you kind of have to take that sort of cash grab there um, and, and sort of move towards that structure. But in general, because Spurs are still a good team and, and for me, like from a price efficiency point of view, uh, a team that I would like, I don't mind being invested in as someone who's planning for three or 34 I think I'm still planning for triple Spurs midfield. Um, so the way I, I see it is either I, I, I make a move towards Richarlison this week or Madison, but then when it comes to gaming 29, even when you look at, for example, free hit teams, triple Spurs is still the best option and best solution. Um, you're obviously hedging very much towards uh, a certain outcome. And we've seen a lot of managers do that before and it hasn't worked out brilliantly, but that that is something I think people want to think about. You know, What do you think about the idea of sort of spreading yourself um you know in terms of probabilities like let's say having one defender and two attackers as opposed to three attackers what do you think about like that sort of accumulation of expected value yeah so first of all we have to point out that richarlison's injury situation is unknown a little murky yeah. right now so just wait for the press conference there is uh, no use speculating we will probably hear from Ange before the deadline so you will have your answer most likely uh, there could be a small chance that they could decide on the day of the fixture whether to play him or not so uh, you could make your decision based on that i mean son is first choice obviously if you want to go for a midfielder and you have enough cash just go for son and push the decision to get richarlison or another spurs asset down the road but as fran pointed out i'm just a little worried about yudogi's minutes in the long run mm -hmm. Because this is his second injury that he's come back from, if I'm not mistaken. It, yeah. It's not that major of an injury, I know, but I'm just saying that the accumulation of fatigue can manifest in different ways. I don't know what's going to happen in his case. And also the centre-backs have not been fit enough to go on for the season. So I'm just a little perplexed about who to go for in terms of a Spurs defender. Unless, of course, in the press conference, Ange comes out and says that Poro is uh, close to being back. In which case, I think on 28, I would still go for Poro over Yudogi. I mean, assuming that they are both fit. If Poro is not fit, obviously, I will have to go for Yudogi. But my plan right now is to go for one defender and two midfielders. The second midfielder is up for grabs. If Richarlison is fit, then it is it will be him. Otherwise, I will reluctantly have to go for Madison, I think. Uh, and I'm assuming that is also your backup plan in case Charlison is not fit. Yeah, I'm actually planning to, I think, go Madison. As long as I know that Huang is going to come back for 28, I'll go Madison. But there, there is a world where if Richarlison is out and if Madison... Um, 
unfortunately, yeah, so my, my team situation is a little bit different. So I, I do want to be clear that I think Richarlison and Madison, I think are, are quite interchangeable as, as, as yeah. picks, but in, in my team situation, I, I can't afford Huang to Madison. I can only afford Huang to Richarlison. So because of that sort of context, um, it's nice for me to go hang twang to Richards, but if he's out, obviously I have to go Bruno to Madison, which actually makes my team in theory worse for gaming 28 because I'm suddenly losing Bruno on that fixture. So that's something I need to kind of consider about because yes, of course, it's ideal for me to go triple Spurs by 29, but how I go about it is is interesting. And of course, what I've been also seeing too with Souls and a lot of wildcard 26ers is that they're considering going Palmer over let's say Richardson and Madison because his expected value is so insane. And for a lot of people who wildcarded like myself and are planning three at 34, actually we don't own Palmer and we probably won't own Palmer either for gaming 30 versus Burnley at home. So that's actually a huge um, problem, you know, from an expected value point of view uh, within yeah. our teams. And it might actually make more sense, even though intuitively you're losing, you know, one additional fixture on gaming 29, um for one player that you might go palmer as well and consider him over let's say richardson and madison but yeah going back to my team i'll have to make the, the, these sort of decisions because of course if huang can't come back on 28 and i lose bruno as well it doesn't make sense for me to go madison i might actually have to sort of re redirect my strategy strategy around uh, and actually consider a palmer move one that would be a little bit more better for short short-term expected value but one that could also just sort of pivot my strategy you know more towards free at 29 which you know, I'll, I'll, I'll have to manage that too. Yeah, but absolutely, that makes sense. So let's move on to the last section, which is, of course, captaincy for Game 27. And the top three choices are Holland, Saka, and Son. Yeah. And we have seen the ridiculous exploits of Saka in the past couple of weeks. Uh, it's, it seems it's impossible to stop him. Even if you know what he's going to do, he still does the same thing and continues to score stopping in on his left foot from the right wing. So, as impressive as he's been, what are your thoughts on captaining Saka ahead of Holland? Because I'm I'm still captaining Holland, I think. Well, okay. Well, first of all, there's obviously the expected value answer, which you, you gave, basically. Um, yeah. But then also, it's just, if KDB's fit, I think that that's small, small intangible. Um, that sort of adds towards Holland's favor. And... I don't know. Like, I mean, United, their defense, the injuries that they have, it's it's so hard to find a reason, you know, beyond just expected value to to to, to go for Sock as an option. Um, other than, you know, you have tremendous faith that Sheffield United are, are just a bad team, um, which they are. But yeah, because United have been so bad this season, because there's so many injuries, and because it's probably going to be a full-strength City team, I just, I, I can't see myself swerving a Holland captaincy. And also, one thing is, this is a, I don't think this can be simulated, but I would be interested to understand. So, as you pointed out, KDB being back or being in the team does impact Holland mm -hmm. in terms of overall creativity. Yeah. But it also dents Holland's bonus points potential. Because True. one assist from KDB is good enough for him to get three bonus points. And... Of course, uh, there's Rodri as well who does the same. Yeah, but what what about scoring goals for my man Holland instead of assisting Foden? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. That, that's, yeah. That's, yeah, but anyway, so all I'm saying is, uh, as Fernando's already pointed out, it pains me to say that United 
at home for city is a really good fixture and really hard to not captain holland this week uh, maybe i'm too scared from continuously backing against sheffield united and coming up empty handed including the son captaincy from early on in the season so maybe i am biased a little biased in that way but the expected value as fran said does support captaining holland so i think i'm going to stick to that what do you think about so i think rob t has also made some discussion points about how some of the team models that we have from some of the experts that we have within the community are slightly different to the spread odds right for you know goal concession projections for sheffield united um i think our team models are a little bit more reserved whereas it seems like the spread odds just generally think that they're they're you know opening the floodgates for any team that basically plays them um have you yeah. have you looked into that like what do you think about that in general so it's so funny i also looked into the rolling xg calendar that chase publishes yeah and aren't sheffield united mid mid table on that graphic they are like 10th i think mm-hmm. on xgc um i haven't so, checked the latest iteration but you might be yeah, right yeah i think in the latest iteration they are 10th if i'm not wrong or at least they are mid table is what i mean to say and yep, they are mid table firmly mid table yeah, yeah yeah so that was extremely shocking to me and the only explanation i can come up with is the fact that they don't have enough rolling months because yep. if you look at the calendar obviously they played in the championship for a, a part of that calendar so it makes sense that they still are gathering data and by the time they finish gathering data they will be out of the league again so this cycle is just going to keep repeating that even if they come back again we are going to go through the same cycle so i do understand that the, the anomaly is partially caused by that and i'm assuming that some of the models that use rolling because uh, it has to be a part of many modelers a data set which is rolling xg or projected xg direction so what do you project the xg to go like do you expect it to go up go down and that would determine their defensive strength what i would assume so in that case i can understand why they are not as uh, bullish or uh, or uh, as bearish on uh, sheffield united but i you can understand why market odds are right they are meant to be grassy and we've seen that in the past let's say 5 to 10 years they have adopted analytics in a big way so we don't see those kind of edges anymore where you clearly know that if you are a data modeler you can get an edge over the market mm-hmm. but i still think that there are some of these events where potentially you can have the market going or going all in against sheffield united a bit too much so yeah. data modelers I, I i i would advocate mixing all these data sources to see what you get and then varying the weightages because that's what we do essentially on the review as well because uh i've this season i've never used less than 25% odds on review uh, i don't know about you i think you must have used some sort of odds as well i right? Your, uh, so i i i do what i have always done where I kind of just look at 100 odds and, you know, um, just pure MD just to kind of see what the difference are in terms of players and also captaincy. Uh, but generally I think I, I tend to lean with just MD. Um, so at the end of the day, it it ends up being a mix obviously, because sometimes I I make decisions outside of review, but yeah. Um, I think right now on market versus MD, it's, it's actually still the same order of the three players that we have. But the only thing that I could mention is that with Sun, uh, you could be looking at a huge boost for him playing center forward and uh, potentially having sole ownership of pens as we would expect. 
So that could be a nice little boost, but then also just quality of fixture still feels like it's leaning towards, you know, City and Holland, where, I mean, United, God, they're a shocking defense. Uh, again, even from just XGC and just where, where they sort of rank uh, on that sort of league table. But yeah, um, it's not particularly close, is it, between, let's say, even Sun versus Osaka and Holland this week. I think the fixtures are just too good um, for the f first two options. Oh, um, one thing I remembered, and uh, just to let people know, if anyone owns Mark Gehi out there for Crystal Palace, he is going to be out for much longer than they initially anticipated. So there was talk that he was going to be back last week. It got postponed, and now seems like he's going to be out on the sidelines for a long time, which does impact Crystal Palace's defense. But at the same time, they are playing three at the back now, so it's a whole different uh, game now. And which whatever projections people have about uh playing against crystal palace i would take that with a pinch of salt because new manager and new tactics not had we've not had enough time to really gauge what they are going to be so i think odds do help out in situations like these mm, it's a good point yeah because obviously it'd be a bit more sensitive cool well well i think that's it in terms of the captaincy segment this week do you have any sort of other closing thoughts uh, not really, just thanking everyone who joined us today. I know it is, we are usually streaming quite late, uh, especially GMT. So appreciate anyone who joined us. Pras joined us for a bit. Um, so great to have him. Uh, there was a question in the chat and I think Fran has already answered it. So uh, yeah. we don't need to go through the chat questions today. So thank you everyone for joining us on your way out. If you could just subscribe like this video and this will be up on podcasting platforms tomorrow so do give it a listen if you are an avid listener of the pod as many are on spotify we've had a fair few listeners there so appreciate your uh, continuous support all right thank you guys take care